epistles and I love how man I love how every single epistle starts with grace and peace to you so I was like what if I start my message out tonight like grace and peace to you guys right you deserve some peace you deserve some grace amen and so we are in a new series called roommates or soulmates roommates or soulmates and if you didn't know okay it's our relationship series um, we try to do one once a year sometimes uh, we don't get to it but at least once a year we like to talk about this thing um, called relationships and we titled it roommates or soulmates for a reason and I think the biggest reason is because right now in society the zeitgeist of society the vibe of society is one that is detailed um, in this description of a roommate how many of you have roommates in here amen how many of you love your roommate if they're sitting next to you raise your hand yeah all right all right a roommate, by definition, is exchangeable. A roommate, by definition, is interchangeable, right? I mean, you can have, um, man, you can have a dozen roommates. You can have, if you're really ambitious, a hundred roommates. It does not matter, right? As soon as you get tired of one, right, you can break lease with them and go find another one. You can give them your keys. They can give you their keys, you know, that kind of a thing. You can exchange toothbrushes, the whole deal, but it is interchangeable. If you don't like the way a roommate cleans you can boot them out if they leave underwear all over the house which amen can I get an amen what is wrong with you roommates leaving your underwear around the house just don't do if that is your mo there you will never find another roommate I'm just gonna let you know okay but they are interchangeable exchangeable disposable and yet we have a God who when he talks about relationships, not just like friendships, but when he talks about love, when he talks about sex, when he talks about intimacy, God talks about it in a way actually of two becoming one flesh. And I don't know if you know this, but actually God invented sex. He's a big fan of it. God invented intimacy. He was the first one to come up with the idea of what it would look like for a man and woman to come together and what that entire scenario would look, feel, and respond like in our souls. He's the inventor of it. And so he's good for creating such a good thing. 
But when he invented it, he said two will become one, and that one is this Hebrew word ekad. And it is where we read, the Lord your God is one. It is a powerful word that means to fuse on the deepest level, on a spiritual level, on an emotional level, on a physical level. It is actually two souls coming together as one. And so it's not just about you finding the one. It's about becoming one with one. It's powerful. And that's why God says this, this can actually, this type of atomic energy can actually only happen in one type of relationship. There's only one type of relationship that has covenant enough, covenant enough and power enough to hold securely, to hold fastly this fusing of two cells. And it's a soulmate. It's a marriage. And so what we want to talk about for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about it for, I think, at least four weeks, maybe five weeks, depending. But we want to talk about what it means in our society. And listen, you may have come in here tonight. I don't care what your past is. We don't care what your baggage is. We don't care what you walked in here with. But what I would hope is that you'd open up your heart enough to at least investigate the possibility that maybe, just maybe, God wants to give you a vision of what he had in mind when he created a man and a woman and he he said, there, now be intimate, and that you would settle for nothing less in your life. That's what this entire series is about. And so tonight, um, I have the privilege of kicking this thing off. I always love it. And what we're going to talk about tonight is actually not quite there yet, not the fusing of souls, but we're going to talk about this phase called singleness. If you're single in here, could you wave your hand in the air like you just don't care? That's so, that's so many. Those of you watching online, those of you watching online, oh my gosh, if you're single and you're not here, look, you are really dumb, okay? Um, Stupid. You should be here. So, how many of you feel like you're going to be single till the second coming? Honest, honest moment. It's all right. It's all right. I've been praying for you this week. You don't know, but my heart's with you. My heart's with you. This thing called singleness, this season called singleness, these years, these months, whatever they look like, called singleness. Paul is writing uh, in the epistles, and he's writing to the Corinthians. Now, if you think in 2018, you watch the VMAs, and you're like, whoa, society has gotten out of hand. Like, if that's how you feel, then you need to visit Corinth in first century AD, and I promise you the Snapchats then were crazy because Corinth was sexually promiscuous on a different level, I promise you. And so uh, Paul is writing to this society, a society kind of like ours, that has all different types of sexual practices, that thinks everything's okay, that thinks everything's all good, and he writes this group of people in kind of a mentoring fashion, and he writes to them this about their singleness. He says, now I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. But now the unmarried window, or to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for you to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry because it's better to marry than to burn with passion. He says, it's good to be single. That's what he says. And I know that for a whole bunch of us in here, the consensus is, oh, this is not good. <laughs> so bad. 
But Paul says this is actually good, that the season is actually chock full of intentionality and purpose and that it is good. Poke your neighbor and say, I'm actually good. I'm actually good. I'm good. I'm good right now. <laughs> Paul says it is good. This single season is good. And listen, for most of you in here, we're going to talk about lifelong singleness. For most of you in here, you are not called to lifelong singleness. Rest easy. If you have a desire to get married, that is there for a reason. The Bible says that those who delight themselves in the Lord will receive the desires of their heart. He gives them the desires of the heart. That's what the word says. And I believe that when we seek God, he actually implants in us desires. And so that desire for you to be married, that desire for you to have children, listen, that is God-given. Some of you were like, I'm going to be single for it. It's going to be fine. <laughs> but Paul says the season that you are single, it's good. It's good. And what I would like to bring to you tonight is the thesis that it is only as good as your ability to perceive it rightly. And so tonight what I want to talk about is what are you looking at right now? If you're single, if you're married, if you're engaged, I don't care. Where is your focus right now? Because I promise you, where you are looking is going to determine what you experience. And so tonight, I titled our sermon, Single and Looking. Single and looking. Amen? Let's bow our heads and invite the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you. And God, I thank you for this group. God, I thank you that millennials are actually cutting the divorce rate. God, I actually thank you that things that we've prayed for, we're seeing. God, this generation is different. We're not like what the world says. God, and I think that in time, the world will see the type of beauty, the type of marriages, the type of lifestyles, the type of kingdom that this generation brings. I pray that you would move tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right. How many of you are good gift givers? You're good at giving gifts. All right. All right. How many of you, you're good at giving gifts, but it's really because you really are hoping somebody is going to give you a gift back? <laughs> That's right. It's your love language. If you are a gift giver, it is because you also love giving gifts, you know, or getting gifts. And so uh, growing up, I had a set of like five amazing girlfriends, right? All the way from high school, we are best friends to this day. We are uh, really close. We still keep in touch, even though we're states away, etc. And growing up, we always did Secret Santa at Christmas, okay? And for those of you who aren't familiar, Secret Santa is a thing where throughout the month of December, you give really small little gifts, and you kind of attach little notes to maybe give clues as to who you are as their Secret Santa. And then at the end of the month, we would meet like any great high schooler in modern-day America at a Chili's. <laughs> and we'd get together and we would and we would try to you know guess who our secret Santa was. Now there was one girlfriend of mine who it just makes me laugh thinking about, but she was a terrible gift giver, okay? And all of us were just like, oh gosh, I really hope that she does not have me, you know? <laughs> And so, because I swear, I swear to you, this is what she'd do, right? Like, I'm not sure, but if I had to assume what she did when it came to gifts, like, I think she'd be like, oh, it's Tuesday, and I should um, get my secret Santa a gift. And so she wanders into her basement, <laughs> I swear to you, and she's like, oh, it's like half-used candle. It's 
perfect. And she wraps it, you know, and I don't know if it's because she was into like saving the environment, like reduce, reuse, recycle, you know. And so she like rolls in and like I would, you know, open the thing in my locker and I'd open the gifts and it would be like this half-used candle and she'd be like, I'm saving the planet. And I'm like, okay, thank you. You know, and it was just like this terrible gift. But at the end of the month, we all get together at Chili's and I need to decide, and I'm pretty sure I know that she's my secret Santa, right? And so it comes to me, and they're like, Jess, who do you think your secret Santa is? And I'm, you know, eating, like, my awesome blossom, and I'm like, oh, this is the only awesome part about tonight. And I'm like, you know, um, is, it, is it you, girlfriend? And she's like, it is. <laughs> and she pulls out, like, a King Supers bag with, like, tissue paper. And, and I pull it out. I kid you not, this is a true story, as sure as I'm standing here. I pull it out, and it is a teddy bear with, like, one of its ears burnt off. <laughs> and I was like, oh, dude. And it, like, smelled funny, like um, seaweed kind of. I don't know. And I was just like, all right, you know. And she's like, oh, my gosh, you know, Merry Christmas. And I was like, thank you, girl. You really should have, <laughs> you know. And so... And so, but I'm just like, what do I do? Like, immediately, I'm like, I am throwing, like, as soon, like, ew. You know, like, as soon as I get home, I'm throwing this. This is a bad gift. I'm not going to tell her this, but this is a terrible gift. Nobody wants this gift. And in Scripture, Paul talks about our singleness. The way that he describes it is it's a gift. He says this thing is actually, this season is actually something really precious. It's something to be treasured. It's a beautiful season if you would but receive it that way. He says, now I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried, I say you should stay unmarried as I do. He says, it's a gift to be single. It's a gift to be single. And I think that most of us, the problem is, is that most of us treat singleness like a plague. We treat it like it's something we need to get rid of ASAP. Like it's like, it's like Teddy, like, ew. like just get rid of it as soon as possible. That's how we treat our singleness. And yet, Paul says it's a gift, and I think the reason that it can be a gift, or the reason that it can, we can receive it as a gift is by the way that we look at it. That your season of singleness, that the way that you determine, the way that you focus, the way that you look at your season of singleness will determine how you experience your season of singleness. And in scripture, we read about a man who when we meet him is actually single. When we meet him, he's actually a baby. But when we first start to hear about his calling in his life and, and what's going on in his world, he is one of the most incredibly gifted, incredibly talented, most strength-ridden um, human beings we would ever meet. And his name is Samson. If you've grown up in church, you may have heard about him. If you're like me and like never went to church in your life till you were like 17 years old, you're like, who's this dude? I'm going to tell you. It's all good. So Samson... From the time he was a baby was actually set apart. An angel of the Lord came to his mom and his dad and was like, look, you are going to have a baby. And this baby is actually going to deliver the Israelites out of the hand of the Philistines. The Philistines were a different people group at this uh, point in time who traveled around and basically just took over the land of other people groups. And so they took over the Israelites. And the Bible says that God gave the Israelites into the hand. They were in the hand of the Philistines. And according to the Bible, um, there was a Nazarite vow 
that the angel said to the mom and the dad of Samson that Samson was to take. Now, Nazarite vow meant that, number one, you couldn't drink wine. You were set apart from birth. You couldn't touch things that were def would defile you like a grave. You couldn't eat things that would defile you. Um, and last but not least, you could not cut your and Samson began his walk in his early teens and his call in his early teens. And as he did so, he did with strength and vigor like a warrior until he got distracted. And for those of you who know his story, I won't go into detail, but it ends in some severe tragedy and demise. And I believe it's all because of the way that Samson looked during his single years. I believe it's all because of the way that Samson focused during that season of his life. And so tonight, I want us to talk about where our vision is. The Bible says that without vision, people perish. And so with vision, they live and with vigor. And so we want to have some vision when it comes to our single years. And we want to talk about the ways in which God wants us to focus our lives and set our minds. And so the first thing that we want to talk about tonight is setting our focus on our race and not our relationship. Setting our focus on our race and not our relationship. And when I say race, I mean this. Hebrews 12 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The author of Hebrews is talking about your calling. The Bible says that before you were even born that God knew you and that he prepared in advance for you good works that you get to walk into. The Bible says um, in Hebrews 12 that Jesus marks out a race just for you. If you walked in here tonight and you feel like your life has no meaning, you need to understand that you are made on purpose for a purpose by a God that loves you so much and has a redeeming quality for your life. He has an intention. He has a race marked out just for you. And newsflash, it starts now. It doesn't start when you're married. It doesn't start when maybe you have 1.5 kids. It doesn't start when you figure out your 401k. Your race begins right now. And I love it because it says, now run your race, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And that visual there is so powerful because I picture, if you've ever watched the Kentucky Derby, I picture a horse racing. And if you've ever seen, um, you know, the Triple Crown or any of those races, you'll know that they have these little headpieces on the horses and they have blinders on each eye. And those blinders keep the horses from looking to their right or looking to their left, but instead focusing straight ahead on the race that is marked out for them. And God says, I want you to fix your eyes on me. I don't want you to look to your right. I don't want you to look to your left. I want you to understand your purpose, and I want you to run and I don't want you to be distracted, and I don't want you to be divided in your focus and in your attention. There are men that say, Paul says this season is a gift. It's a gift because you can have undivided and un un unfiltered focus on what God is asking you to do. Paul, if you don't know, lived one of the most effectual lives 
in the church, in the kingdom of God. It is because of him that we are reading a Bible. It is because of him that the Bible was spread to Macedonia and Rome and Asia. He went everywhere in a time where you didn't really go anywhere. Like Paul's the dude. And he says it's a gift to live your life with focus on the kingdom of God. He probably only comes second to John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist lived his life with ferocity. And he preached a a message of repent. Repent because God is coming and the son of God. Repent because your hearts need to be soft to receive him. And he lived with so much focus. I don't even think John the Baptist ever even thought about taking a wife. He was too focused on his race. Jesus, the entire time Jesus was on this earth, the only reason he was here was to live and live out the calling and the actions that his father asked him to. And Jesus, at one point, he even says this. He says, um, man, he's talking about eunuchs, and eunuchs during this day were people who were actually physically incapable of sexual relationships. And he said, some people are born eunuchs, and then he says this. He says, some people um, are made eunuchs. And then he says this. Some people choose to be eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom. And he says, if you are able to accept this, then accept this. What he's saying in this moment is he's saying if you can accept your season of singleness as a gift and that you are choosing in that season to run for the sake of his kingdom, not feeling sorry for yourself, not poo-pooing the institution of marriage, but instead being focused on the purposes of God that he has for you at this point in your life, he says to you, that's acceptable. And that's good. And it's blessed. It is a gift in a season of singleness. Listen to me, young adult. In your single years, this is the only time where you will be able to take off to Uganda and work for an orphanage like you always want to. And you don't need to call the wife and be like, hey, uh I'm leaving for a year. How you feel about that? (laughs) This is the time where you can build that ministry that you've been thinking about and dreaming about, and you can try. This is the season where you can go to school and you can learn about the talents and the gifts that God has put in your mind and in your heart for the sake of serving him. This is the time where you can have community and you can reach out and find a vitality at the church and you can do this with focus. God says it's a gift. Why would you just throw that away? And we read about this man named Samson And he begins his race so well. I mean, it's crazy, church. This dude is amazing. According to the Bible, he went to war almost immediately with the Philistines. And he would lead out the Israelites to go to war with the Philistines. And as he did, the Bible says he single-handedly destroyed thousands of them. At one point, he picks up the, this is how B.A. is, he picks up the jawbone of a donkey. Okay? I'm like, cool. You couldn't find a sword, but that's fine. And he destroys like thousands of Philistines in an altercation. Because of this, um, the Philistines and the Israelites, they came to a place not of peace, but kind of of an understanding. And so he begins his race with vigor, but then he gets distracted. He gets distracted. The Bible says this. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. 
The rulers of the Philistines said to her, see if, you can, um, see if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. And um, so I love this because, um, first of all, red flag number one, it says that Delilah is from the Valley of Sorek, okay, which to me sounds like kind of Game of Thronesy, right? So it's like, oh, no, dude. Don't do it, you know, don't do it, right? But it says that he falls in love. And mind you, this is not his first time of falling in love. He actually has made poor choices before this. Didn't learn from it, it's fine. Um, he falls in love with Delilah. And he just goes to show you that you can actually fall in love, church, with a complete dud. And I know what we, I know what we think, right? We're like, oh, but my heart can't lead me wrong. And I never seen somebody so beautiful. And it's just got to be right because of the way I'm feeling. They've got to be a 10. No, false. Actually, you can fall in love with a 100% dud. And in Delilah's case, somebody who is only there to use you. So be wary of who you're choosing. The Bible says he fell in love with Delilah, and because of that, he paid for it. He falls in love with her, and he pays for it. He was running his race so well. And I love it because in Galatians, Paul is writing to uh, the church in Galatia, and again, he uses this terminology of a race. We are running a race. We have a purpose. We have an intentionality. You're here for a reason. Figure it out, and then run in it. And he says this, you are running so well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Don't you think it's interesting that it doesn't say what hindered you? Like, oh man, was it money? Or was it a disappointment that really took you out? Or was it a challenge that seemed too difficult for you? No, he says, you were running so well. Who stopped you? Who did that to you? See, the who's in our life are actually really possible. And so God says, keep your eyes focused on me. Delilah enters the picture, and almost immediately she derails Samson. It's almost immediate. I mean, armies can't take this dude down. It doesn't matter how big you are. Like, nobody's taking this guy out. But you walk in, like, five foot four, like, dark hair, really beautiful girl, and boom, like, he's done, right? <laughs> it's all over. That's all it took. A few manipulative words and his focus shifts. His focus shifts from his God and his purpose to a girl who doesn't honor his God and doesn't honor his purpose. See, where he's looking determines where he's led, and it's not good. Have you ever seen a toddler run around? All right, um, I'm going to tell on us parents. We say, oh, our kids are so cute, but here's the deal. Toddlers have oversized heads. If you're in here and you have a big head right now, listen, you are going to have some really big-headed toddlers, okay? <laughs> big head Todd that came from big-headed toddlers, I'm just saying. So, and they like, they just like, their head leans to the right and like their bodies kind of go to the right, you know? Or like, it goes forward and they're like, I'm running faster, you know, like, <laughs> so funny, man. Wherever their head, wherever their head is like leaning, like that's just where they go. I remember when I was in high school, I was watching this toddler, and this was before kids, so I just thought they were real weird, you know? And I just walked this kid just like bumble around like the basketball court. He was like the coach's kid, and he just was like, and I was like, what, is he drunk? Like, I don't, what is up with this little boy? But where your head goes as a toddler, that's where your body goes. 
But if you look around in your single years, you look to your right, you look to your left, listen, that's actually where your life will go. (laughs) You look to the right, you look to the left, God is like, stay focused. Set your eyes on the author and the perfecter of your faith and run your race. And you could be starting a ministry, but instead you're looking over here at a girl that doesn't text you back. Look ahead and run your race. You could be meeting friends and having a depth of relationship that you've never had, but you're too worried about your Instagram. He's like, where's your head? Because where your head is, that's where your life. Listen, there are some of you in here, and I know who you are. I can see it in your spiritual life. And you spend your single years crying out to God in your loneliness and reading the Psalms and intervening and communing with the God of the universe. And there is a depth that happens during that season. But then there are some of you who are so busy looking around at things that don't matter and don't add to you. And God wants you to understand tonight, your life is too worth it to spend time looking around. Your life is too worth it to waste your time with a bobble-headed type of lifestyle. Instead, set your focus on the author and the perfecter of your faith. We focus on our you and not on our who. Number two, we focus on our you and not on our who. We have a saying in the YA staff, and it's you do you, boo. And that, like, it's actually a loving saying. Like, the way we're saying is like, man, you are made the way that God made you, and I love the way that God made you, and so you do you, boo. You know, like, God made you that way. You just do you. And in your single years is where you are going to discover more than any other time, mark my word, more than any other time, who you are. You are going to discover your identity in Christ. John and I have a four-year-old daughter. Her name is Brooklyn. Uh, She is becoming self-aware. She's like um, an artificial intelligence being. She's becoming self-aware. No, I'm just kidding. But actually at this stage is where they become self-aware. Is where they start to discover, oh, I'm a person. And like, I'm different from my mom. And I'm I'm my own deal. And who am I anyway? And so I'll do this because she's like super distracted, right? Her head's all over the place. Like she's looking at a plane and then she's looking outside because she like heard an ambulance and then she's looking at a bug. Like she's just like all over the place. And I'll be like, Bricky, Bricky, Bricky. And I'll be like, eye contact, eye contact, baby, eye contact. And I'll be like, hey, baby. Hey, you are so patient with your sister today. I love that you are becoming such a patient individual. Good job. Good job. Hey, baby, eye contact, eye contact. Hey, hey, I love you in a tutu. Man, you look so glorious. You are so beautiful. God made you just right, girl. He made you just right. Eye contact, eye contact. That is not the way that we treat people. (laughs) I am giving her nuggets of who she is, and God is going to fill in the rest later. But this is where her identity is developing. And during this season of your life, I love 20-somethings because I just think it's the most important like, place I could be ministering. This is the season where you will decide the biggest things about yourself. You're deciding who you're going to marry. You're deciding what your calling is. You're deciding what kind of person you're going to be. And God says, I would love to have some input on that. And so he says, eye contact, eye contact. Hey, hey, son, 
I know you feel weak right now. But listen, in your weakness, I am strong for you. And let me show you what you are made of, son. Hey, daughter, eye contact. Look to me. Look to me. Hey, I know what the world shows you about comparison. I know how you feel on the inside about your worth, but you need to look to me because I want to tell you how valuable you are. Son, look at me. Son, look at me. I need to tell you about your sonship. Daughter, look at me. I need to tell you who you are in Christ. Look here. Look here. Don't look anywhere else. Look here. Because he needs to tell you who you are. The number one reason that you are in this season and you haven't graduated from it yet is because you need to know who you are. If you don't find out who you are from the source, if you don't find out who you are from your father, from your heavenly father, you are going to find your identity or try to find out who you are from every other place possible. And you're going to look to your phone like, oh my gosh, text me back. Oh my God. You know, you're going to be like, Instagram, Instagram me, DM, DM, slide into my DMs. Validate me. Tell me to come over. Tell me that I'm beautiful. Like my photos. Show up where I am. I'm going to show up where you are. Will you make eye contact with me? Show me how you feel about me. Tell me that you love me. Tell me that I'm worth something. Tell me that I'm valuable because I don't know who I am. Because I'm not sure, because I never went to the source, because I looked everywhere else, and I never found out, okay? And I read Samson's life, and look, he's strong, but to be honest, he's not my favorite character in the Bible, because in my view, I see someone who is so physically strong and so weak on the inside because they have no idea who they are. I mean, he's so lazy with his life. He's so flippant with his gifts. He's so distracted in his abilities. And I think to myself, my goodness, Samson doesn't know. He has no idea. He's been set apart from birth. He has no idea. God found him that special. He has no idea who his heavenly father is. He doesn't know. And because of that, he makes decisions like someone who doesn't know who they are. God doesn't just want to identify you in this season, young adults. He wants to strengthen that identity in this season. See, Samson was physically strong, but what God wants to do to you in your single season is he wants to make you strong in your inner man. It says this in Ephesians 3, that he would grant you, single person, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in his spirit, through his spirit, in your inner man. The, your single years are the season where God is going to show you what you're made of. There's, there is something that can happen where for the very first time, young adult, you are going to step out in faith and you're going to see that you can trust God. You are going to trust God with your future and you're going to see him show up and it is going to build your faith. Your insides are going to strengthen. This is going to be a season where you're going to cry out to him and you're going to actually see him show up. But your eyes have to be set in the right place. See, if you make this about your you and not your who, I promise you, you will be so happy with the results that you see. He wants to strengthen your inner man. And he's doing this 
so that you don't get distracted. See, I love it. I love Samson's story, and I love everything that he is, but it's so tragic the way that it works out. He meets this woman, Delilah, and she's so manipulative. She's like, if you love me, then you'll tell me how you'll lose your strength. Listen, fellas, if that's the line ever, she don't love you. <laughs> you need to run. If, if the line ever is, if you love me, dot, 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 you exit the room promptly. Amen? Amen? She says, if you love me, you'll show me how you lose your strength. And he gives in because he doesn't know who he is. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite des dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become a as weak as any other man. And so while he sleeps, she cuts his hair, and his strength left him. Strength, man, it's important. Your inner strength, it's important. You're working on your outer man at the gym. Work on your inner man. You're working on your outer woman. Work on your inner woman. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians verse 6, or chapter 6, verse 14, it says, and make sure that you are not unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And we take that in church to mean, okay, so I don't marry a non-Christian. But I actually think it means more than that because a yoke was a tool that would go over. It was a piece of um, wood that would go over top of two oxen. And the oxen should essentially, in order for them to go straight, have equal strength. If one was stronger than the other, then they would veer to the right or to the left. But if they were equal in strength, listen to me, then they could plow the field that they were meant to plow, and they could do the work that they were meant to do, and they could do it together. And so I don't just think that God is like, hey, make sure that you don't marry a non-Christian. Do you know what I think God's saying? Make sure that you marry a Christian that's as inside strong as you are strong. Make sure that they aren't just like, oh, it was a Catholic once, and I don't know, we're figuring it out. Like, make sure <laughs> that they don't just come like every now on Sundays when you beg them. Make sure that you didn't have to claw your way to get them to young adults tonight. And your inner man does not match their inner man. God says you want them to be as strong as you because otherwise you will get off course or at worst, worst case scenario, they will actually take your strength. And so God says it's important where your focus is, young adult. It's so important. God's goal is to build up and to strengthen your identity in your young adult years. And the last thing is this. The last thing is this, is let your focus lead you. Let your focus lead you. Isn't it interesting how where you focus um, when you're driving is where you end up? Um, for those of you who are great drivers, you're like, yeah, duh. I'm not a great driver. <laughs> and we go to Lake Powell every year, and growing up, my dad would always say, if Lake Powell is like the Grand Canyon, but with water in it, and it's got these weaving canals, and we would take a houseboat, and my dad would say when I drove the boat, he would say, set your sights on the horizon that you, where you want to go, Jess. Set your sights there, and then just drive straight ahead. And don't, you know, don't mind the weaves and the, you know, ins and outs. And so I would. And because of that, I wouldn't oversteer and I wouldn't waste gas. And I would get exactly to where we needed to go. For the last 10 years, John and I's focus has been building a ministry. It's been building the church. It's been loving God's church. And because of that, it has kind of been the reason that we have everything that we have now. 
The relationships that we have now are all friends that have, are a part of ministry. It's because of our focus. The people that have mentored me are pastors and, and you know, different theologians and stuff like that because this is where my focus is. The, the reason that we sacrifice a lot with our family on Thursday nights and on Sundays and we decided that that's what we want to do as a family is because that's our focus. And so that is where our life, see your life is determined by your focus. Do you understand? And so God wants to make sure that your focus is in the right place. And band, you guys can come back up. He wants to make sure that your life is focused in the right place and that when you run your race, it's set on the things that matter. And I know what it feels like. You're like, well, but if I focus on my race, then how am I ever going to find my girl? <laughs> if I focus on my you, then how am I ever going to find my who? But what you need to understand is that this is God's plan for you to find your relationship. It's for you to run your race. And that God's plan for you to find your who is for you to figure out your you. It's really true. Did any of you run track in high school or in college? A couple of us. So when you would run track, they would always, um, when you would train, they would pair you up with another partner. And you would have a running partner. You would have a person that you ran races with, really. Gosh, I love, it. I love God. I love how he makes us. And so there was this um, black girl, her name was Katie, went to my school, faster than everybody. Um, black people in here, I mean, no disrespect, but listen, you are so much faster than us white people. <laughs> and so nobody wanted to be Katie's partner because she just like smoked everybody. But listen, I wanted to be, fa I wanted to be faster. So I was, like, I was like a freshman, I was like, I'll be Katie's partner, you know, I was so scared. <laughs> so she was my partner and she made me better, like so much better. She made me faster, like so much faster. She taught me how to come out of blocks. She taught me how to not false start. Like, she taught me everything. She's my running partner. And God wants you to understand that how you run your race will determine the type of partner you get. And so with your eyes focused straight ahead, you begin to run your race because in your single years is when you start. Please do not think you need to start tomorrow. Please do not be fooled by the devil into thinking that you need to start five years from now. You need to get on your face tonight with your Bible and begin your race tonight. If you don't know why you're here, say, God, show me. He's so good. He won't lie to you. God, show me. And he says, this is your race. You know how you've always, man, you've had that empathy I need you to counsel people. There are some hurting people. Redeem it. Find a way. So you begin running your race. And you're like, all right. And then one day you're going to like look up and you're going to be like, oh, oh, he is so cute. <laughs> and lo and behold, he's going to be kind of running in the same direction as you. And kind of with the same pace. And you're like, oh, and the Lord's like, just keep running, just keep running. And you're like, okay. <laughs> right? One day, fellas, you're going to look up and you're going to be like, oh, Lord. <laughs> and he's going to be like, now? And you're, and you're going to be like, now? And he's going to be like, not yet, son. Just give it time. And then pretty soon, you're going to see like these people converge in your life and you're going to realize they're running kind of with the same strength you are. And they're running in the same direction that you are. And you're going to be like, now? 
Yes. Coffee first, okay? Your you will determine your who, I promise you. Your race will determine your relationship, I promise you. Do not skip the steps. Do not forsake this season. Do not throw it away like it's a bad gift. God says, this is how I give you the best gift possible. Set your sights because where you set your sights will determine how you experience not just this season, but the next season and the next season and the next season. And let me just tell you, young adults, if everybody in here could stand, there is no feeling in the world like running your race, holding the hands of the love of your life, serving the king of glory upon glories, and giving everything that you have together. Listen, the purpose of your life is not to get married. The purpose of your life is to serve the king of kings. And you have the joy of doing that with a partner who is running with strength and with vigor in the same direction as you. And so with every head bowed, I just want to ask one question in here. God says, where are you looking tonight? And if you want to just say, God, I just need you. I want to look to you. Will you just raise your hand? Amen. God says, look to me. I'll show you your who, your you, and then you're going to know your who. God, we thank you. We praise you. And we worship you tonight. May we run in a way that glorifies you. In Jesus' name, amen.